you know, Purim is an interesting day. Purim is a day where the day of Purim itself, there's no moichen. There's no moichen. What do I mean by there's no moichen? Moichen means there's no, you know, you're not of sound mind to really appreciate what the day is. It's, it's all over the place. So the main hachana that we have to make for Purim is really from before. It's really from before. So let's talk about Purim a little bit. Go through some questions about Purim and then try to get to the kishkas, the panemius of what's going on on Purim a little bit, the taste of it. And Bez Hashem, all of this is just uh, by way of tefillah, that we should be zaychet, have a good Purim. That's really what it is. All right, so we know that one of the main mitzvahs of the day of Purim is Mishloich Manis Ishlariyehu, right? The Sen Shalach Manis. Now, it's well known that the Achorim discuss what the main point of Shalach Manis is. And so it's a well-known hakira what the Indian of Shalach Manis is, but one side of Shalach Manis, certainly, according to many Achorim, is Lahar Beis Reyes, in order to increase friendship. Increase friendship to develop relationships with the Eden, deepen relationships with the Eden. Laharbis Reyes. He send gifts to friends. All right. So the thing is like this. If you were to ask me, if I were Chazal, if I was Mordechai Nestor, and I'm being Mesakin, Mishleich Manas, in order Laharbis Reyes, in order to create bonds, what I would say, what I would do, is that every single year by Shalach Manas, you should send Shalach Manas to someone that you don't know. That doesn't make sense, right? You're increasing friendships, adding more connections, learning about more Yidin, connecting yourself to more Yidin. Not only is that not what Chazal did, but the truth is, is the sheet of the Bach. The Bach, in his commentary to the tour of Archaim and Hilchas Megillah, the Bach says a Chiddush. The Bach says not only is the mitzvah not specifically to go out of your way to send Shalchmanis to someone new, says the Bach Adarab, the Iker mitzvah Shalchmanis is to send people that you already know. I mean, that's the minute, right? Everyone, all the Rebetzins make their list of Shalach Manis, and it's the same people from 10 years ago. So that's the minute of Klai, so that's what we do. The Bach, in fact, says that's why Meshalach Manis was instituted as sending just to one person. I mean, you could send to more, but the most minimum is one person, right? Matonas Avyoinim is to two poor people. But Meshalach Manis is Ishlar Yehu. Why? Says the Bach, because who says a person has more than one friend? So the, the Indian of Shalach Manis is to send it to people that you already know. So maybe you only have one, one friend, so that's the minimum thing. So this is a Pella, this is a wonder. If the eating of Shalach Manis is what? Is Laharbis Reyes, then Adarabba, Adarabba, Dafka to people that you don't know. That's who you should be trying to develop relationships with. But know the opposite, Dafka to people that you do know already. It's a little bit strange. That's question one. Question number two. Another, in Indian, a theme that you find throughout the Megillah, and it uh, manifests itself in Halacha as well, at least the Minhagim of Purim, is the Indian of clothing. The Indian of clothing. Throughout Megillus Esther, we find that at every moment in the story where there is some, where things begin to turn for the better, right? Where any, every, every, plot, every plot point where there's a little bit of that nace emerging, it's always coming with clothing, right? So Esther Malka goes into Achashverosh, right, to plead for the Jewish people. Vatilbash Esther Malchus, right? Esther Malka wear, puts on royal clothing. I mean, Chazal say what they say, but on a simple level, she, she puts on royal clothing. When, as we know, when Achashverosh uh, asked Haman, you know, this person did me a favor, what should I do for him? And we all know that ends up being Mordechai, so what does Haman say? He should wear the crown of the king, wear the royal garments of the king. And again, that's when things begin to take a turn in a positive way towards Mordechai. And finally, the whole Megillah come, you know, it sort of uh, culminates with this one scene that the Megillah paints to describe the victory of the Jewish people, the victory of, of Mordechai over Haman. And how does it say? What's the poster? Mordechai leaves the palace, wearing clothing, royal clothing, and so on, a terrace, boats, gedoyle, and so on. So this meaning of clothing as a way of describing the nace of Purim. Not only is that something we find in the Megillah, but it also makes its way in the Minhagim of Kalah Yisrael. So we know the early... The question exactly when it started, but it's recorded in early Ashkenazi sources of this minig. What well, we do find it already, you know, throughout the generations, it came into just like wearing, a, you know, like a like a duck, you know, or like whatever it is to wear costumes, you know. But uh, that's what my kids are going to be wearing. That's why I have it on there. Anyway, but uh, the original minig was his chalfus begotten to exchange clothing, to constantly wear different costumes to change your clothing. There's even a discussion that the early Achreinim have, the Ramah talks about, even maybe a, cust- a custom of men wearing women's clothing and vice versa. So the Indian of the Megillah is this Indian of clothing, and it makes its way in halacha as well, of clothing. 
So that's question two. What does that have to do with Purim? I mean, why, why, if, again, if we were Mordechai and Esther, if we were in the Megillah, I don't know if clothing would be such a big Indian. But clothing is a major Indian in Purim as well. So that's another question. What does this, what does this tell us about the nace of Purim? <clears throat> Finally, another question to ask. This is a little bit off the beaten path. In the Kisviari, in the writings of the Arizal, we find amazing things. <laughs> that's Aleph. But well, we find something very interesting when it comes to Purim. The Arizal was Megala, the following site. The Arizal was Megala, the following secret. The Arizal said, we know that when Chazal already make this clear, that Haman knew going in to his whole plot that what was going to stand in his way, in theory, was Moshe Rabbeinu. Haman was terrified of Moshe Rabbeinu. Therefore, when he makes a gairal, a right, to draw a lot to figure what month is going to be more misogal to destroy the Jewish people, God forbid. So it comes out an other, he's very much happy. Why? Because Zion other, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu dies. Okay, the Gemara says he doesn't know that Zion other Moshe dies, but Zion other is also born. But Moshe Rabbeinu is the opposite of Haman. He stands opposed to Haman. In fact, the Rizal says that even Mordechai himself, Mordechai was a reincarnation at some level, Gilgal of Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a lot of inyanim like this. The hint, Mordechai's name is hinted to in the Shemana Mishra and the anointing oil. Mordechai, like the Gemara says in Chulin. And we know the Shemana Mishra was something that was made by Moshe Rabbeinu and cannot be duplicated. It was a Moshe Rabbeinu's Indian. So Mordechai is Moshe. Moshe stands opposed to, opposed to Haman. The Rizal said the following thing, that one specific Indian that Moshe Rabbeinu brings to the world, which was the Rafua, Kaidan Lamaka, the cure before the sickness of Haman, was the Indian of the Mun. The Mun. We know the Chazal, said, Chazal tell us that the man that fell in the Midbar was in the schus of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's schus of the man, said the Rizal, stands opposed to Haman. Haman is also the same letters as in there, Haman, the man. He's, the, he's opposing the man. He stands opposite the man. But already the Rabbanu gave us a matanam and a shemayim, literally, of the man. And that's the refuah, that's the cure, that was the remedy before the mock of Haman. As Isaac the Rizal. So the question is, what in the world does that mean? What does the man have anything to do with Haman? Was a, what, what, what is it about Moshe Rabbeinu that Haman has a problem with exactly? But specifically the man? Okay. Those are all the questions. I have a, I have a, a, a minute by me. Very often I forget to answer my own questions. So if that, ever, if that happens, you know, it's just like throw something at me or something. You know, just remind me. But I'll do the best I can to remember to answer them. Okay. So it's like this. So who's the bad guy of... Purim. So we all know the obvious bad guy is Haman. But the truth is in Chazal we find that there's another bad guy in Purim, and he's a little bit uh, less obvious when you just read the Megillah, and that's Achashverosh. Right? Chazal already say this, that Achashverosh and Haman they were almost equal in their riches. But what's interesting is like this, if you, if you think about what Haman hated, what, what could he not stand, versus what Achashverosh couldn't stand, they're different. There's a connection there, but they're different. What do I mean? What was Haman's an Indian? What was Haman opposed to? What could he not tolerate? So you couldn't tolerate the Jewish people, our very existence. The existence of the Jewish people, Haman could not stand. Hashmid lahar glabit. Achashverish, though, is interesting. Lamashal, when Esther Malka reveals herself to be Jewish, Achashverish is not completely thrown by that. He's not disgusted by the idea. Achashverosh doesn't seem to have a problem with the existence of the Jewish people as a people. What's Achashverosh as an Indian? So throughout the Gemara Megillah, we find this in the Drushas and Agadita, that it's clear, in the Drushim as well, that Achashverosh could not stand Beis HaMikdash, specifically by Yesheni. And there's a constant theme throughout Achashverosh, throughout the Megillah Sester, as we know, based on Tarash Peh. Why does he make the whole party to begin with? Because according to his calculations, right, it should have been a time already to rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash, the day came, the day went, it's not here. That's the reason to celebrate. Kalim and Kalim Throughout the whole Megillah, when Esther Malki is requesting things of Achashverosh, what does he constantly say? I'll give you everything till half the kingdom. It's been half the kingdom. So Chazal say it means I'll give you everything, not by Yesheni. I'm not allowing you to rebuild the second base of Megdash. The Gemara even darshans in the Gemara Megillah that the name Achashverosh is a remez to this. We know this throughout another, many places in Chazal that, that Shmoka Garman, person's name, uh, tells you something about their personality. They could use that positive or negative, but it tells you something about them. The Gemara Darshans, 
in Megillah that the word Achashverosh is a combination of what? Ach Reish, a brother of someone called the head. Does that mean? So the Gemara Megillah tells us like this, Rav said, that Achashverosh is the brother or like-minded to another Russia in our history that's called the Reish, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. It's a passage in Daniel that describes Nebuchadnezzar as the Reish, as the head. And so Achashverosh is of, uh, cut from the same cloth as Nebuchadnezzar. Says Rav, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the Beis Migdash, the Beis Rishon, and Achashverosh at least was plotting and trying to stop the rebuilding of the second Beis Migdash. That's, that's his whole name, his whole essence is anti-Beis Migdash. So fine, so you have these two enemies of Purim. Now the truth is, this Indian of second Beis Migdash, not only as it happens to be, that's Achashverosh's thing that he, you know, that makes him crazy, the thought of the second Beis Migdash. but the truth is, in a certain sense, part of the celebration, a major aspect, according to Tarsh Balpeh, of the celebration of Purim is not just our survival over Haman. Because if you think about it, okay, so we weren't killed. I mean, you know, but what, what exactly did we gain from the story? What, at the end of the day, what was gained? So according to Chazal, really, a major part of the celebration is the fact that since Esther Malka finds herself in the palace, and she remains with Achashverosh after the Megillah story is over, and we know that she and Achashverosh have a son, Daryavesh, he, who's Char Jewish, he gives permission to rebuild the second base of Megdash. That is really the celebration of Purim. Not just that we survived, is that the puzzle pieces were in place through Megillah Esther to allow the rebuilding of the second base of Megdash. More than that, when Esther Amalka in the Purim story, right, so when, after Haman is killed and the Jewish people are victorious, so Achashverosh asks her, what else do you want? So she says, I want the ten sons of Haman hanged. That's the first time you've heard of the ten sons of Haman. What is, what is, Haman is a bad guy. What are ten sons of Haman? What, what, what do they do wrong? The answer is that you have to look back and say, in, in, in other places, Tanakh and Sefer Ezra, to realize what was going on. Before the story of Purim, the Jewish people already started, with permission from the government, they already started laying the foundation of the second base of Migdash. But the problem was, the, the, the Pasuk in Sefer Ezra tells us, that the ten sons of Haman started spreading rumors and started whispering Lashon Hara to Achashverosh in the palace, that the Jewish people, they're plotting against you, they're building the second base of Migdash, that's their way of trying to overthrow the government, all these things. And they wrote Ksav Sidna, they, they wrote anti-Semitic, uh, you know, Lashon Hara letters to Achashverosh to try to stop, and they were successful, at least for the time being, to stop the building of the second base of Migdash. Esther Amalka wants to hang them because she sees the entire nace of Purim as, as the emergence of the light of the second base of Migdash in potential. And so it's not just getting rid of Haman, it's getting rid of the ten sons of Haman. So we have these like sort of two themes, what's going on in Purim. On the one hand, you have Haman and everything that's revolving around Haman, which is to destroy the Jewish people, God forbid, and our victory over Haman, which is to live, to survive. That's one side of Purim. And then there seems to be this other side of Purim that's more revolving around Achashverosh and the ten sons of Haman, perhaps, which is about the emergence of the second base of Migdash. It's a little bit disjointed what these two sides of Purim are about. I mean, Purim is Adlo Yodda, but it's, you know, you know, before Purim, things have to make sense. On Purim, it stops making sense, but before. The truth is more than that. There's a Gemara Megillah that actually draws a connection between Haman and Achashverosh in terms of what they hated, what they despised. The Gemara says a famous mashal, it's Rav Abba. The Gemara says in Megillah, the Rav Abba said, a mashal of Haman and Achashverosh can be compared to two people. One, they both have their own estates, you know. One person has an estate with a huge ditch inside of it. And another person has an estate with a huge mound of dirt on his estate. And each person is thinking, Rabbanu if only I could find a guy with a huge mound of dirt. I pay so much money that he should fill my ditch. And the other guy is saying, Rabbanu if only I could find a guy with a big ditch, that I'll be able to, to pay money to have my dirt go in his ditch. And finally they meet each other, and they say, keep your money, you're doing me a type. They both have the same problem. That's what Chazal is, that's the mashal. They both have the same problem, until finally when Haman says to Achashverosh, guess what? So Achashverosh says, Keep your money, I'm happy. It's a win-win. So Chazal are not just saying that there is some overlap between the two people. Yeah, I mean, yes, if there's no Jewish people, there's no Beis HaMikdash either. So I get why Achashverosh would be happy if Haman is successful. But the mashal of Chazal is much more, is much more 
it, it brings the point that it's not just you know, an overlap between the two. They're, the problem is the same thing. So we have to figure this out. Again, so we have these two in Yonam of Purim, the survival, the life of the Jewish people, second base in Megdash, and although they might seem to be opposite, not opposite, but different from each other, Chazal are forcing them to, to, for us to look at them literally as the same thing. So the truth is we have to understand this. I mean, the, the Beis Hamikdash, for example, Bechlal, is called Beis Chayenu. It's called the life of the Jewish people. It's called the life of the Jewish people. So on the one hand, superficially, one would say that the Jewish people's survival and having a temple in Harabayas, two separate things. But in Pimis, with a deeper way of looking at things, it's clear from, from Chazal already, from Honan Achashirish, it's clear that these are one of the same things. A Jewish people that's alive without second base of Migdash is not alive. The, Jew, the second base of Migdash is, in a, deep, in, the, in, in a deeper sense, the life of the Jewish people. Haman is trying to destroy us physically, and Achashverosh is trying is, is okay with us living physically, but he wants to take away our very essence, our very soul, which is second base of Mikdash. That's that's what it seems. So we have to investigate this. Let's investigate this. So let's let's go into the sugi of second base of Mikdash, yeah, because that's what it's going to be all revolving around. If we could get a more clear picture of what the second base of Mikdash means, but again, not just the picture, not just the building, what it means in terms of the Jewish people historically, what it means in terms of the Jewish soul, the second base of Migdash, then we'll have a better understanding of what Achashverosh was trying to stop. We'll have a better understanding of what Haman, how Haman relates to that, a better understanding of Purim itself. All right, so we know when we think of the second base of Migdash, we usually think of it as Bidyavid. It's Bidyavid. Right? First base of Migdash, that was the base of Migdash, right? Like the Gemara says in Yuma, that there were, uh, you know, miracle, uh, constant miracles in the first base of Migdash. The first base of Migdash had an Aaron, which is, that's a big deal, right? There was Nevuah, Urim Batumim, amazing things. That's a base of Migdash. That's a base of Migdash. The second base of Migdash, nope. Second base of Migdash didn't have an Aaron, didn't have Urim Batumim. The fire of the second base of Migdash was not uh, miraculously in, in the form of a lion. There's other, other differences between the two. Second base of Migdash is the uh, best you can do. It's like there's a story, the, 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 it's a Pasuk in, um, in Ezra Nechamia, it's a Parsha in Ezra Nechamia, where when they rebuilt the second base of Migdash, it's fascinating, Mamish, to imagine the scene, it's Mamish Apella. Uh, we know the difference between the first and second temple was only 70 years, yeah? So you could have people that saw the first and also are witnessing the rebuilding of the second. Now, they would be older, obviously, but uh, definitely possible. So the Pasuk says that when the Jewish people came to rebuild the second base of Migdash, so it's a whole party. And the Pusik says that the youngsters, who never saw the first, were celebrating music, dancing, skvalik. But the older people that saw the first base of Migdash began to cry, they began to wail. And their wailing, their crying was so loud and so intense that the Navi says it actually drew, drew, over, you know, it overwhelmed the sound of the celebration. Why are they crying? Because they're looking at the young people who are celebrating this thing and they're thinking, this is a base of Migdash. You have no idea what a base of Migdash was. First base of Migdash, that was a base of Migdash. This is a shell of itself. So, on a very simple level, what's, what seems to be very clear, again from Tamba Bavli, in terms of understanding the differences between first and second, the second one is very schwach. It's, uh, again, it was, it's the best you can do, we understand. It was a nice breather in Gullahs to give us a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a break. But Lemais, it's not base of Migdash. What's amazing, though, however, is, is that that's the sort of the feeling or the, um, you know, the, the, the uh, perspective you get from Talmud Bavli. But we have a sefer that's called the Pirkei Hecholos. If you've heard of it, Pirkei Hecholos is a very, one of the oldest uh, Kabbal svarim that we have in our people's history. It's attributed back to Rabbi Shmuel, already before Rabbi, the times of Rabbi Kiva and so on. Um, so we're not going to, I'm not going to share with you any of the Kabbal parts, but this is a, uh, this is from Chazal. This is ready, one of the earliest farm that we have. Listen to what it says. This is a description of what was going on in Shemaim, I guess you can say, when the second base of English was being built. This is what it says in Pirkei Chal. This is about Perchav Zayin, Perchav Ches. Am Rabbi Yishmol. Rabbi Yishmol said, Kach Amar Rabbi Akiva. This is what I heard from Rabbi Akiva. Meshom Rabbi Lezer HaGadol. 
Okay, so this is a tradition that Rabbi Shmuel is bringing down. From the day the Torah was given by Har Sinai, until the second base of Migdash, that's the Bais Achran that Rabbi Shmuel is referring to, until the second base of Migdash, the Torah was given, Har Sinai. But, but the splendor of Torah, Yikara, the, the covet, the honor of Torah, Kvaida, Kudulasa, its greatness, Tifarta, its splendor, Eimaso, Pachtasa, the fear, the dread of Tyre, Yerasa, Oishra, Gainasa, Ziasa, a million descriptions of the amazing quality of Tyre, Memshalta, Durasa, Light Nidnu, Achinivna, Baisachar. Tyre was given, but the light of Tyre, the power of Tyre, the awesomeness of Tyre, the dread of Tyre, the Pacha, the Tefer, that was not given until the second base of Migdash. Rabbi Shmuel continues that when the second base of Migdash was being built, a baskel came out from Shemayim, the Tanoim at the time, again, before Tanoim already, but they, the Chazal at the time heard this. And Imru The baskel came out to, to the Chachamim, asking, telling them the following thing You're about to build the second base of Migdash, make any request. Whatever you want will be granted. What's your request? <clears throat> Tell me your request and it will be given to you. Whatever your soul desires will be given to you, will be granted. There is no greater ace rotsin than, than this moment right now. The Ainzman Kizman Hazet. Building of the second base of Migdash. So it's interesting. The Baskal Rabbanishon did not wait for Chazal to respond. Says I know what you want. My heart knows what you desire. What is your desire? You want a big Torah. You're not satisfied with Torah with the written Torah that was given to you on Sinai. What you want is a much greater expanded version of Torah. You want a time, you want the ability to fully develop and unravel Torah That's what you want. Roiv, he says like this, Tar Maruba Atam of Aksham, Hamoin Talmud, you want a big Talmud, right? You want Dafyami for seven and a half years, that's what you want, right? The Roiv Shmuas, you want to have a lot of Mamarim, a lot of you know, statements from Chazal. Lishal Halacha Atam Tzafim, you want to be able to have the opportunity to ask a Shaila, to ask Halachas from a, from a Paisik. Lahamoin Razoi Atam Achmedim, you're desiring my secrets, that's what you want. Laharbais Halachas Kachol Hayom, you want to be able to develop halachas like the sands of the ocean. You want to have many yeshivas in every city. The opportunity to develop halacha, to figure out halacha, to pass in something's also, something's motor, something's tome, something's tahar. You want to bound crowns to your heads. That was the Baskal said. And the Baskal continued. And said the Rabbana Shloylam, this was something I always wanted to give to the Jewish people, Tarsh Peh, but it's something that I was not planning on giving to the generations, from Moshe Rabbeinu until now. But Tarsh Peh in all of its glory was from the beginning of time destined for this for this moment when the rebuilding of the second base of Megdash. And regarding this Maimir, this experience, says Rabbi Shmuel, the Navi Chagai said, that on some level the covet of second base in English is greater than first base in English. Now we know, we know what's being hinted to over here, clearly, is a transition in Jewish history. And this is something that the Rishon already pointed out, is that there was always Tarsh there's always Torah Shabbal Peh. The Rabbanu Shem gave us Chumash, Torah Moshe, Tanakh, and so on, from Har Sinai. And he gave us the Yud Gil Amida, Shatar Nejrasvam. He gave us the keys to develop Torah Shabbal Peh, 100%. But, without a question, the Vilna Gaon talks about this in great detail, Tzadaka Kain Vulblin, many svarim, is that until the first, until the second Beis Hamikdash, the overwhelming focus of Yiddishkeit was Torah Shabbal was the prophetic experience, the ideal you know, when a guy went to yeshiva during the first base Hamikdash, you know, what was the goal? The goal was not to be necessarily a Paisik or a Rav, it was to be a Navi. The Navi was the ideal, to experience divine inspiration and even greater levels of prophecy. That was what? 
Yes, there's Tarshav Alpeh as well, but it was, it was bottle in the experience of Tarshav Echsav. Uh, second base of Amigdash, we know, prophecy ends. And that's a transition from Yiddishkeit being focused on a Tarshav Echsav experience to now being focused on a Tarshav Alpeh experience. The lights go off, and now you're stuck figuring out what's muksa, what's not muksa, and developing the details of Tarshav Alpeh. And what's amazing is, is that from our perspective, we would see that, and we would certainly feel that, as a terrible descent. Tarsh Bechsav, prophecy, prophecy. Uh, with prophecy came an extreme sense of nationalism, an extreme sense of being part of a bigger picture. The Nevi'im, for example, throughout Navi, when they're giving Musa to the Jewish people, they're talking about big things, big things. They're not talking about small details, they're talking about big things. That comes from the light of Nevuah. And all of a sudden tar- comes the second base Amigdash, the light shut off, and now you're, you're dealing with Pratidinim, details, questions, answers. What's also, what's mutter, I'm not sure, fake is doubts, Tarsh Balpeh, figuring things out. But yet what's amazing is that this Pirkei Echalis, which is explaining, like sort of, you know, pulling back the curtain, seeing how God is, is seeing this whole transition in Jewish history, the Rabbani Shalom is saying this is the most amazing thing to ever take place. This was what I always wanted to give to the Jewish people, which was the power and the tools to develop Tarsh Balpeh in full. And it was not ready until second base of Migdash. Godl Kavid Yabais is Ahr and Yasmin Arish. Alright, so 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 something so something's off over here. You know, the, the guy, if we if there's a conflict between how we see things and how God sees things, that he's right. Okay, so the question is how do we realign ourselves with how God sees things? We would be much more excited from tar, from Tanakh, from Tarshvik Sav versus Tarshbal Peh. But yet God's excited in the other way. So let's understand this. Okay, one last question, and then I promise we know that. Tie it all together. One final question. This is the most simple question, but probably the hardest to answer. What, what is a Jew? What is a Jew? What is a Jew? I know how you become a Jew, right? Either you're born from Jews or you convert properly. And I know what a Jew has to do, right? I mean, generally speaking. But what is a Jew? What is a Jew? Because you can't understand Purim without trying to answer that question because Haman could not stand Jewish people. It's like, what is it that he found so repelling? What, 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 what is a Jew? This is like this. Let me try to explain Do the best I can. You know, when you first get married, Marshall, right? So, as Hashem, those that have been zechut to get married know this, that when, you're first, when you first get married and you're beginning to know your spouse, a good husband, the definition of a good husband in the beginning is you do exactly what your wife says, right? So in other words, Ramosh, let's say it's, it's your wife's birthday is coming up, right? And she's passing, you know, and, and so the first year, so you want to get her a good gift. If, she's, if she hops where you're holding in terms of the relationship, then what she'll say is, Yossi, okay, I want you to get me this piece of jewelry. And then I'm a good husband, I do exactly as I told, I go to the store and I buy that piece of jewelry. Skivaldic, fine. If you're 20 years down the road, right, <laughs> so that's not a good husband anymore, right? A simon of being able to say that you've developed a great bond between you and your wife is where you know what she's thinking, you know what she wants without her having to tell you. So it's like this. What's the difference between Tarsh Sav and Tarsh On a very simple level, okay, Tarsh Sav is what God told us, and Tarsh is when we get to work and we try to go like this and get very sophisticated and come up with ideas on our own. That's not Tarsh That's not Tarsh Balpeh. Tarsh is not human. Tarsh is not just creative ideas that human beings with big brains come up with using tools that God gave us. That's not Tarsh Balpeh. Tarsh is a gift that the Rabbana Shalom wove within the Jewish soul, which is the ability to discover not what God says, but what God is thinking. What is the Jewish soul? So I'll give you a mashal that the Svarak Doshim use. You know, you have, uh, you go back to like fifth grade science, you know, 
So you have like white light, like regular light coming from the sun or light beams, right? And I've never actually done this or seen this, but let's say you have, a, I don't even know what this is really, a prism, right? Or a crystal, right? So what happens is you take white light, you put it in the prism, right, the crystal, and all of a sudden what emerges are all these different colors. And we all know that it's not the shot, these are new, there's a new color. That w- those are the colors that were contained, that were somehow lost, subsumed, nullified in white light, and you didn't know, you didn't see it yet. Until the white light somehow went through that prism, and the function of the prism is to be nothing. The prism is nothing of its own. The prism doesn't have its own identity. The function of the prism is to do nothing more than to reveal the inner workings of that white light. It's almost as if the white light can't communicate on its own all of its colors, and it needs a prism through which those colors can emerge on their own and be discovered. That's Nishmas Yisrael vis-a-vis God. The Rabbana Shlalem gave us Tarsh Sav. And Tarsh Sav are not instructions that a man sitting on a cloud somewhere with a good naughty list is just marking down, oh, you kept Shabbos, check. Mechal Shabbos, X. That's not from our religion. The Rabbana Shlom gave us Torah, and as Chazal say, the, word, the first word of Torah is Anoichi, that stands for Ano Nafshi Ksavis Yehovis. I am giving my soul, I'm giving my essence over to you in Torah. But the Rabbana Shlom's essence, what the Rabbana Shlom was able to communicate is, the white, is, is white light. It's Gavaldic, it's amazing. But if you want to really connect to God Himself, so to speak, is that you have to be able to discover God's will that's contained within the sentences He said. The Rabbanu Shalom tells you what he, what he says, tells you what He wants, and when you're married to Shana Mishayna, that's good enough. But at some point, the husband has to become the prism of his wife's heart. And the wife has to become the prism of her husband's heart. And they no longer, vis-a-vis their spouse, have their own identity. All they are is a vehicle to allow the depth of my spouse's desires to be shown and to be revealed, to be discovered. That's Tarsh Peh. Tarsh Peh is not, when you learn Gemara, it's not, you know, listen, you know, Albert Einstein came up with great ideas, he discovered things. So Rabbi Kiva and Ramesha Feinstein also discovers things. That's not what's going on. Tarsh Peh is a phenomenon of a Devar Hashem, the Word of God, which is God Himself, being traveling through the prism of Nishmas Yisrael, and what emerges on the other end is God's deepest will. God's deepest will, that Kivyachal, so to speak, too deep for even God to be able to articulate. And this is why Tarsh Peh is fully developed and blossoms, Dafka, when the lights go off. Because when the lights are on, during the times of prophecy, then you get caught up with what's being said. And you're not able to hear what's being felt and what's being thought. You understand? It's um, a good muscle to that. I don't know if there's a good muscle to that. Sometimes when a person is communicating something, I'll give you an example, Okay. When I, when I give a lot of mishalim, it means that it's, I'm having a hard time explaining it, so you understand. So, you know, the Gemara says, for example, that uh, a, good, a good Rebbe is able to, to speak to his Talmidim, to teach over Torah, Balash and Kitsara. The Gemara says in Pesachim that a person should always teach uh, succinctly, the opposite of what I'm doing, okay? Be succinctly, right? Why? Why? So Rashi, for example, the Gemara Pesachim says, because it gets confusing. You talk too much and you, you confuse yourself, you confuse everyone. It just gets confusing. It's interesting. The Rambam doesn't learn like that. The Rambam in Hilchas Deus, when he records that memory of Chazal, that a person should speak Balash and Kitsara, the Rambam doesn't say because otherwise it's confusing. The Rambam says because the gr- great secrets of Torah have to be conveyed in silence. They have to be conveyed with words, but with silence within those words. It's in the pauses that are between sentences that the soul of the speaker is able to be conveyed. When there's too much talking, then you're caught up in the words. And you don't get a feeling of what's going on, what's trying to be transmitted from the heart of the speaker. 
when the Rabbana Shalom is talking so much in an open way during the times of prophecy, then the Jewish people are overwhelmed by that visceral, by that su- even superficial on some level, by that outer experience of words. But our ears are not developing a sensitivity to hear what God is thinking. And we're not acting as a prism for those words. But specifically when it comes to the time period of Tarshav al-Peb, the second base of Migdash, because prophecy was gone, because prophecy is taken away, and, the, and now there's silence, now the Jewish people are forced to discover who they truly are in their essence, which is nothing but a prism for God. That's what Nishmas Yisrael is. Let's understand, therefore, this is the second base of Migdash that really brings to the forefront what a Jew is. What is a Jew? You don't know what a Jew is with first base of Migdash. Because God has Nevuah, God speaks, so God spoke to Bilaam too. Well, you want to know what a Jew is? The answer is a Jew is nothing. That's, I mean, you, okay. And there it's terrible, right? You think, like that'll be the, the tagline from this year. Zach Dinsky said, Jews are nothing. Haman was right. Understand this. Right? You have to drink until you can't see the difference between Haman and Mordechai. Haman was picking up on a very deep truth, which is that who, the Jew, who are the Jewish people? The answer is nothing. They don't exist. We don't exist as an independent people. Who we are is nothing but a prism of godliness in this world. We are, we are a vessel through which God is able to reveal what he's thinking, what he feels, what he, what he cannot articulate. Haman was just picking up on that and corrupting it and bringing it to, to a low place of to physically annihilate the Jewish people. But that light of Purim, which is the light of the emergence of the second base of Migdash, which is the realization of what the Jewish soul is, as you see in Tarsh Peh, that's a truth that Haman was picking up on, but he was corrupting it. But the truth of Purim is, is that we don't exist. What do you mean we don't exist? We don't have our own existence. We are nothing but a prism of godliness in this world. And that's what the miracle of Purim was ultimately revealing to the Jewish people. The greatest extreme of this, of this way of looking at the Jewish people emerges of Purim. Because by Purim, what happened was the Jewish people had a ter- went, fell into a terrible place. They went to the meal of Achashverosh, right? And that's a terrible sin. Now, what we're used to thinking, though, in Jewish history is, this is the model. Jewish people sin. Enemy comes to attack us. Jewish people do tshuva. Everything works out, right? But what's amazing by Purim is that before the Jewish people did tshuva, in the Avera itself, in the Aver itself of eating the meal of Achashverosh, in that meal, which was the sin, all of a sudden the seeds of redemption are planted. Vashti is killed, eventually making room for Esther Malka to replace her, before any tshuva. How do we make sense of that? The only way to make sense of such a phenomenon is by understanding that the Jewish people are nothing but a prism of godliness in this world, and on some deep level, which could only be talked about or connected to once a year is that even when the Jewish person is sinning, there has to be some level of God's will in, contained in that. Because who you are is nothing but a vessel of divine light. Who you are is nothing but a prism through which God reveals His deepest secrets. And the deepest secret of God, which you can't even talk about publicly so much, but as a preparation for Purim, you have to be able to say it a little bit, the deepest secret of God is that everything we do has to be connected to His will. Because that's who we are. You can't go too much into that because otherwise it throws a wrench into a lot of things. But once a year, such a truth is revealed. And that's what Purim is. Purim is a day that we, that we have a, a, a much deeper appreciation of what the Jew is. And the answer is, what is a Jew? I don't know. I don't know. It's, some, it's hard to know. I asked the question in the beginning, why would Shalach Manis be instituted in such a way that you give to the people that you already know? The answer is, the great miracle of Purim tells you that what? It's that this guy, you know this guy for 50 years. You know his mildness, you know his chistrinus. You know exactly what this guy's going to say. Because every single Tuesday morning at 9.15 a.m., he says the same joke to you. The same joke. And Shalach Manis says, you go to his door by Purim day and you say, Rabid, Shalom Aleichem, what's your name? Who are you? 
Who are you? We, we went to elementary school together. Who are I don't know who you are. And you know the great secret of Shalachmanis is? You don't know who you are either. You don't know who you are either. On Purim, when he asks you, what's your name? Who are you? The answer is, I have no idea. Who are you? I have no idea. Okay. Now we give her bank together. We don't know who we are. Because at a certain level, Haman was right. Who are the Jewish people? We have no idea. Achashverosh and Haman are both standing in the way of this truth of emerging, of who the Jewish people are in the deepest of senses. And the fact we don't fit on planet Earth. All we are is a prism for the Rabbanish love. So we started with also this question, like what is it? Is, is Purim about the celebration of our, of our survival over Haman? Is it about the second base of Middash re-emerging? The answer is it's one and the same. You can have the Jewish people survive, but without the revelation of second base Hamikdash and how amazing and what that tells you about the Jewish people, then that, that's, not, that's not the Jewish people. Then you just, that, that's just another nation on planet Earth given different rules and living with different cultures. That's not the Jewish people. The second base Hamikdash redefines who we are. And, all, and what, it, what it tells us about ourselves is that, all, that we have no idea who we are. This is why throughout Purim, it's all about changing clothing. Because that's all, that's, all, that's, that's all we know about. It's just clothing. It's just clothing. Who are you? You give a list of who you are. It's all outfits. It's all an outfit. So who are you? I'm a... You go through the simple thing. I'm a doctor. Yeah? So who were you before you became a doctor? Okay, fine. That's not a good answer. I'm a, I'm, I'm a family man. I, I love my family. Yeah? What happens before you had a family? Okay, I'm, I'm just a nice guy. Yeah, what if you're on a desert island and there's no one to be nice to? So who are you? When you dig deep enough, the answer is, I have no idea. And everything that I know about myself is just levushim. It's levushim to try to give expression to an inner identity that I cannot explain. And you know why you can't explain it? Because all you are is a prism of godliness in this world. That's all you are. Now, saying that's all you are also gives you the most concrete existence that is. Because the only thing that truly exists is God. The only thing that has no beginning and no end, that's not dependent on anything else, is God. And if your existence is a conduit of God to allow God's rotsin to be revealed in this world, then it might seem initially that that, that means I'm pulling the rug from under your feet. But, I'm, but the truth is, this is giving you the deepest, greatest existence of all. You have everything now because that's all you are. You're a piece of divine light. This is why we find in Chazal that the only way that a person can be zaycha to Tarash Peh is with humility, right? Tarash compared to water. Water goes from a high place to a low place. Torah also only goes to low places. So what is that? Stam, it's a skula. Uh, the Rabbani has Tara. It's not nice to give it to a Balgaiva. No one likes a Balgaiva. I'll give it to a low person. That's not a, it's, this is not a side point. Tarash Peh could only reside in people that are nothing. Because if you're a something then you repel divine light. You, then lo- white light bounces off of you. In order for white light to go through you and to reveal all of its depths and secrets, you have to be nothing. Rav Tzadik, in fact, writes this. I wouldn't be allowed to say such a thing, but Rav Tzadik writes this. Lukach. This would be a good tattoo. If you were able to do tattoos, it would be a whole sleeve, really. It's a whole... Lukach. Tachlis kol tarsh peh. That's what he says. The entire tachlis of all of Tarsh Baal Peh, Chazal, that we have from Chazal, who rachachmis v'limudim, are all unbelievable ideas and deep ideas and sophisticated ideas, to reach one simple conclusion about ourselves and about all of life. She'in lanu ma'atzmenu klum, that we have nothing of our own, rak ma'ashashem isprach and all we have is what God gives us. Amuna, faith. That's what it all boils down to. That's the beginning, and that's the middle, and that's the end of all of Yiddishkeit. So you think to yourself, really? Okay, I, I mean, I believe that everything I have is from God. Like, no, no, no. Do you believe it? You know, there's a mice they say from, um, who was it? Fatali Rabshitzer, I think it was, that there was a Yid that once came to him, who was very, very sick, he went to doctors, v'chulu, you know, the whole, and he comes to Fatali Rabshitzer, and he says, Rabbi, I need a, uh, I need a refuah. So Rafael Rosh just says, Do you believe that the Rabbanu Shalom is Roifei Chayla? 
He says, yeah. And Rathar says, I ask you a question. Do you believe there are punishments Rafi Chaiwa? And he says, no. I don't believe it. So Rosh said, okay, good. You're honest. Repeat after me. The Rabbanu Shalom is Rafi Chayla. And he says, Rabbanu Shalom is Rafi Chayla. Do you believe yet? No. Again, and again, and again, until finally the light of, of, of Eli Rabbanu Shalom entered into his neshama, and he began to believe the Rabbanu Shalom is Rafi Chayla. And I know the end of the story. He had a refuel. The guy believed. He says everything in davening. He's Rafi Chayla. Mamis, Machai, and so on. There's madragas of belief. There's knowing with every core of your existence that the Rabbana Shloilam gives you everything and you have nothing. To be lahashmid laharg laabid yourself, to allow yourself to, re- to become reborn, like the salamander from fire, to become reborn as something that's kuloi esh. Kuloi esh. That's the mitzias of a yid. Everything else that you see is maris ayin. Rav Tzavik says, this week is Parsha Zohar, right? Shabbat Zohar. Rav Tzavik writes, the, the, cult amolik the entire union of Amolik in this world is rak lamar sa'ayin, is to convince you that what you see with your physical eyes is the reality. And what you see with your physical eyes is that a Jew, okay, there's Italians and there's Jews. That's maris ayin. The mitzis of a yid is nothing but a prism of divinity in this world. Rav Tzavik says, <clears throat> when a person reaches that place of ayin, of bittal, then of course the Rabbanishon will be mashpia. This is the secret of why Moshe Rabbeinu opposes Haman. Why? Chazal described the nevu of Moshe Rabbeinu as what? As aspaklaria hameira, with an absolute transparent lens. Other Nevi'im, they, they say koyim Hashem. Why? Because the lens is cloudy. But Moshe Rabbeinu's lens absolutely transparent. Haman believed that that ability of Moshe Rabbeinu to be transparent, to be bottled, to be a prism of the Rabbani Shalom, and everything Moshe Rabbeinu says is it's literally the divine presence and it wasn't clouded, it wasn't painted at all by any of his own personal negias. There was no human being Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't know where he's buried. You can't know where he's buried. The Gain says an amazing thing in his commentary to Kuni Zari, the Gain says, it says in Pasuk, that no man knows where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried until this day, which means forever, because any time you read that Pasuk, that's what it's going to say, right? Says the Gain, in Chazal we find the word Ish means Moshe. means even Moshe doesn't know where Moshe is buried. Because who is Moshe Rabbeinu? I don't know, and neither does he. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is nothing. Moshe Rabbeinu is an absolutely transparent lens. Paman believes Zion Adar Moshe dies. And because Moshe dies and Zion other, going forward, the Jewish people are now something. And if there's something, they could be undone. But Moshe, but Haman did not realize that Zion other mays, but Zion other noilah. Moshe is born, dies in Zion other, and he's born in Zion other. You know, Tzaddik makes an observation. The order is a little bit backwards, right? First, a person is born, and then they're nifter. The Gemara says, Zion other, Moshe dies, and Zion other, he's born. Says for Tzaddik, the meaning of Chazal is, Zayin Adar, Moshe Rabbeinu physically died. But that moment, the Kayach of Moshe Rabbeinu, what Moshe Rabbeinu is, the transparent lens of Moshe Rabbeinu, is reborn inside of every single Jew. That although what you see is something physical, and what you see is a physical person with Negeus, Narishkeit, and Shtosim Bahavolim, but in Pneumius, who that Jew is, is nothing but a lens of God, a tr- transparent lens of the Rabbanu Shalom. Moshe Rabbeinu brings us the Mun. What's the Mun? Nothing, but everything. The mon, whatever you want the man to be, whatever your machshav is, whatever your deepest desire is in terms of what it should taste like, that's what it tastes like. So what is the man? Everything and nothing. It's a transparent lens. That's why the Jewish people in the Midbar, if they weren't holding by big madragas, then what's the man? They're disgusted by it. It's nothing. If you hold yourself as something, then the man is repelling. The man that Moshe Rabbeinu brings us is the food within which we're then able to receive the Dvar Hashem, to receive Tyra. Allow, preparing ourselves to be nothing and everything at the same time. The man of Moshe Rabbeinu is the refuah, kaitan lamak of Haman's gezer, of lahashman laharglabi. This is the site of Purim. And you know, there's a, there's a sefer we have, it's called the Tferis Yosef. It's uh, written by um, one of the Redzina Rebbe's, uh, great-grandson of the Ishbitzer, the Man Shiloh. He writes the following thing. We know that the Gemara says 
that as a result of, of the Nase of Purim, Hadr Kibu right? We reaccepted the Torah with love, with absolute love. We all know this, right? That by Har Sinai, there was a little le- level of, uh, of force, Kaflim Har Kigigis, but somehow by Purim, we're happy, we're 100% accepting of Torah. So the, the Ishmael Sir asks, what is, first of all, what does it mean that we needed to be forced by Har Sinai? And what, uh, what exactly changed by, Har, by Purim that all of a sudden we're okay with it? The answer is the Ishmael taught that what was concerning the Jewish people from Har Sinai is like, can we live up to this? Can we live up to living a life that's absolutely in, in sync and in rhythm with God's will? Can we do it? We're human beings at the end of the day. And we see ourselves flawed, and we see ourselves missing with a lot of, a lot of problems. No, okay, the Rebbe forces to accept it. But you know what happened by Purim? By Purim, what was revealed is what? Is that who you are in your deepest root is nothing but a reflection of God's will. Of course you fit the Torah. The tar- you're, you're the same thing. You're the same thing. The Ishritzer writes the following thing. The because of the great miracle of Purim, Kiblu Satar, but Gaidel Simcha, Pam Shainis. Shero, why? Because they saw because they saw Tyre is an absolute perfect shidduch with who they were. That's what Tyre is. That's what Tyre is. That's what the celebration of Purim is. The celebration of Purim is a celebration of our deepest identity. And our deepest identity, like, we're not from here. You know, there's a mashal they say from the, I'll, I'll end with this, but uh, the, uh, there's a mashal they have from the Mizritch the, uh, Magid. The great Magad of Mezrish who took over the, the, the movement of Chassidus from the Baal Shem. They used to say, he said, you want to know what a Jew is? He said, this is the following marshal. He said, there was once a king. And as uh, all good uh, stories go, he's a king. And he has a whole huge empire. He's a Gavaldiga king. The problem is, in the far-flung end of his empire, there's a little island that their mamish is They live like animals. Uh, they don't know the ways of royalty. So the king says to his general, his most trusted general, I need to send you on a, on a mission. I need you to go to this particular island and teach them what it means to be B'nai Malachim, to be, what, be part of the empire. And so the general says, Gvaldik, Hineni, I'll be Makabal, but my concern is, in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to be part of them. And my concern is, if I go there to such a long time, I'm going to become affected by them, and I'll become a Behemel as well. So the king says, fine, no problem, stay here. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm just... I'm just afraid of what's going to be with me. So the king says, fine, so go. He's like, I'm afraid of going, so stay here. And like, there's something. So the general says, King, I'm not understanding what you're trying to tell me. So the king says, I'm telling you, go there and stay here at the same time. Be in two places at once. Be in two places at once. The Zichamaka said, that's what a Jew is. A Jew is, we're not really here. Yeah, we're here. We're not really here. We're here, we're not really here. That's the secret of a Jew. That's dance, right? That's what you, The dancing of Purim is like this one foot up, one foot down. Like Avram Avinu said, Ger That's the secret of a Jew. Hashem should bless each and every one of you. That as you continue to learn Tarsh Peh, as you continue to learn Tarsh Peh, as Tarsh Peh, as Advar Hashem is manifested and becomes more revealed in all of its glory through you, through the Dvar Hashem that comes through your mouth, and the Chedushim that you come up with, your particular insights, your particular perspective of Tarsh Baal Peh, the Rabbana Shalom should bless each and every one of you with realizing how much power you contain, what you're doing in the world by saying words of Tyra, by bringing more Dvar Hashem into the world, by revealing more colors of that rainbow contained in the white light. Hashem should bless each and every one of us that the whole world should realize what the Jewish people are, and the Jewish people should realize what the Jewish people are. And on Purim, we should be zaychet to send shalachmanas to each other and say, No, who are you? Uh, no idea. Who are you? No idea. And with that idea, with that tachlis idea, shalaynaida, the ultimate idea of all should be manifest. Thank you very much.